You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is another installment, the post-national championship game version of the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by B.P. Skinner Clothiers, bpskinnerclothiers.com. J.C., this is our, according to one of my podcast apps, uh, this is what podcast addict. Cause yes, I don't have an iPhone. Please don't judge. I'm very happy in my little droid world. Uh, this is the 97th time we've done this. Mm. So we are approaching our 100, uh, <laughs> podcast anniversary. And again, because we keep doing this, not just during the season, but the off season, we'll hit that pretty soon. There's a show in Atlanta that I won't mention that before they do anything at all, they, they always say, this is the, 2,437th version of the show. Um, there are some play-by-play guys, including one here in Atlanta, that likes to boast about, I have done 1,847 consecutive games. I've never believed in bragging about doing your job. <laughs> so, so just because you do something consecutively, like I've done games with the flu, including two last year. I, but, I mean, I don't expect a pat on the back for it. That's just... You know, we we all have our own work ethic and and want to do what we want to do. Just because you have a great streak doesn't mean anything that you're doing is actually good. <laughs> you could do two thousand seven hundred eighty-seven consecutive pieces of crap, and that really isn't anything to brag or boast about. But I did think it was interesting just because we're getting near a hundred. You and I have been doing this now three years. We now do it on a not just during the season but all year long. And last week, I think we went a record time. We were over an hour and a half, weren't we? We were we were yeah, up there like an hour this, and forty. <laughs> hour and 40 and i'm and i always get worried because they say you want to keep it near an hour we're going to be under an hour today i promise but i've never had anybody complain about us going long they only complain when we you know take a a week off or something which is good (laughs) i'm glad you guys are complaining about that That means you like the product um and some people the experts say you shouldn't go much longer than an hour last week we had so much stuff to talk about jc that I didn't mind going long. This week we're going to keep it short because we got a national championship game to review and we got coaching news, and then we're going to leave the other stuff for, for a week from now. So with all that being said, how are you? I'm sure you watched the game like I did. Um, I watched it in the presence of no one so I could hear everything, take it all in. I have plenty of thoughts. Your turn first. 
did the same thing. Um, sat sat at the at the, the crib and watched it last night. Um, you know, just kind of dissected it. You know, no no sports bar viewing for me uh, last night, and uh, really thought. You know, I you know I, I I thought when Clemson went up seventeen seven, I was like, well, here we go again. I was like, LSU. You know, this Clemson team's been there three out of the last four years. They have, what, 18 players that have played in those games. You know, that experience on the big stage is helping Clemson. And maybe, you know, maybe LSU, even though they have beaten an Auburn team that was good in a close game and won at Alabama and won at in Atlanta against Georgia and won in a semifinal game, maybe, you know, this is the team in, in Clemson you know, because Clemson is immensely talented, that matches up well against them. And then all of a sudden, Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady, the I guess Ensminger's the offensive coordinator and Brady's the passing game coordinator for LSU, they made some really good adjustments. And, boy, you know, you, they just, you just weren't going to stop it. You know, people talk about, and we're going to get into this later, with Mike Leach going to Mississippi State – the air raid offense will not work in the Southeastern Conference. And and that's been something that teams have tried it over the years. Remember Auburn hired Tony Franklin that year, and it was a disaster. And, you know, those Kentucky teams back in the 90s where Leach was the OC, you know, they put up numbers, but they didn't win. All right, LSU is an example of why if you have the right players, if you have talent, and they do, they're very talented. Jamar Chase, outstanding um, Jefferson, very good player. Uh, Marshall, very good player. Thaddeus Moss, the son of one Randy Moss. Big game at tight end last night. He's kind of a weapon. Um, if you have the players, and then, of course, Joe Burrow, um, I, that, that can work uh, in this league. I mean, I, I'm convinced now because you look at kind of what they do in their design, and I'm just sitting there going, this is an air raid offense. This basically is an air raid offense. Is what, what they're doing with this group of personnel – this particular season. So, you know, hats off to LSU, hats off to the air raid, um, you know, 628 yards of total offense against a good Clemson defense held Travis Etienne under a hundred yards. A key stat of the game. I thought for Clemson was T Higgins who went out for a prolonged period of time. He had to go to the locker room with an injury, only three catches for 52 yards. He's a big time playmaker for those guys. Uh, and just did not have, uh, you know, a, a productive game. And, of course, Trevor Lawrence, uh, also 18 for 37, was not his best game at all. And so, you know, that was that was kind of what it was. Clemson's passing attack, which is lethal in most situations, uh, was just kind of stymied while LSU put it together um, after some early bumps in the road, field position, things like that, uh, and did what LSU's done all season. So, I think LSU clearly was the best team in college football this year. Uh, now we know, you know, they rolled through the playoff 63-28, 42-25. That's, that's just not even competitive. And um, I, I thought that they deserved to win. Um, Ed Orgeron, who, you know, I think we both scratched our head about that hire. And, you know, I was uh, a little bit positive. I was like, you know, because I'm, I'm the type of person I can always kind of see, the, you know, a, a way it could work out. Um, and, boy, it's worked out. And hats off to him, you know, because a lot of times it's about talent and your coaching staff. And they have a great coaching staff at LSU and lots of talent. So I, I'm, I was happy to see for their fans them close out the decade with uh, 
their third national title since 2000 uh, with three different coaches. And so I think – and all of them were one in New Orleans. So has to be special uh, if you're an LSU fan today to be on top of college football. There's so many fascinating things for a, for a lackluster regular season. Um, there's so many fascinating storylines of LSU. And I, I think you could even expand it to the – the playoff as a whole in that it, it, it's worthy of mentioning because we are, we've never been so obsessed with, with coaching hires, right? Uh, some of the, the highest numbers on our podcast have nothing to do with games, have everything to do with coaching hires and, and, and firing and searches and, uh, and everybody thinks they know how that works. And, and everybody thinks they know who's going to be <clears throat> successful and who's not. And we always know about the hot name. You know, a few years ago, Tom Herman was, I mean, there's, you couldn't have been hotter than Tom Herman. And I'm not saying Tom Herman has been a disaster at Texas. I'm not saying he's been great. I think it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, And maybe he needs a couple more years before Texas is a national championship contender again. And maybe it never happens. Don't know. But this was the year of the interim coach, right? I mean, look at Coach Day, Ohio State. Look at Dabo Sweeney who nobody knew who the heck he was. I told the story uh, on this show many on this podcast many times where when I was hosting a show on a, a Gamecock station, we had some Clemson listeners on it, and so I would call their SID at the time, Tim Beret, legendary uh, SID at Clemson, and I'd say, can you give us Tommy Bowden? No. Can you give us the OC? No. Can you give us the DC? No. Well, who can you give us? Because I'm not going to waste my time. We can give you the wide receivers coach, Dabo Sweeney. And my response was, Dabo who? No one could have predicted that Orgeron, Dabo, you know, we'll see how Day does in the rest of the time. But obviously he's off to a a very uh, a good start. How many people knew who the heck Lincoln Riley was before he took over for Bob Stoops? It's it's amazing to me the the stories that we have with these programs and, and the coaches associated with them. Um, and I'm going to take it even a step further than that because I think the Orgeron story has been told a million times over. You know, I, I again I go to Oxford a lot for for to, to call games and in, in the various uh, sports, football, basketball, baseball, and and they still laugh at how bad it was when Ann Orgeron was there. Right? I mean, it was a disaster. They were they were the nothing went right. Um, and so it's easy now to say, well, they're idiots. And Southern Cal, they're idiots, too, for not keeping him when he was the interim. No one knew Ed Orgeron was going to do anything good. He, he, he hung his hat on the fact that here's a, a guy that was a defensive lineman at Northwestern State out of the state of Louisiana. And his reputation was two things, a D-line coach and a great recruiter. He didn't have, a, he didn't have what a Lincoln Riley has. He didn't have what a Coach Day has where he was a wizard as a coordinator on one side of the ball. But you know what? Neither did Dabo Sweeney. And here are now these two guys are on top of the college football world. So I don't know what makes a good college football head coach anymore. I, I mean, I honestly don't know. And the other thing about it is when, when I take it a step further, what I'm talking about is Joe Brady. Now I'm going to go through something with you on Joe Brady. First of all, he went to William and Mary. And I don't know what they put in the water at William and Mary, but in addition to producing uh, James Monroe, a fine president back in the uh, 1700s, uh, they have produced Mike Tomlin and Sean McDermott, two, <laughs> two, two guys who played at William and Mary. I think they were together in the same secondary, if I'm not mistaken. And now they're two successful head football coaches in the NFL. But here's Joe Brady 
because Joe Brady, look, they had Joe Burrow last year. They had Ed Orgeron last year, and it was the same old story. LSU, ton of talent, win a bunch of games, but can't beat Bama and can't get to the next level, and they still run a dinosaur offense. So they bring in this guy, Joe Brady, 30 years old, J.C. He's 30. He's from Pembroke Pines, Florida. Okay. It's your neck of the woods. Yeah, I mean, a little, a little south. I'm, I'm in the 561. He's in the 305, but they're both South Florida, correct. He was an honorable mention all state wide receiver when he caught 21 passes. He made the uh, Sun Sentinel all Broward accolades, a newspaper that I used to read as a kid. Uh, his playing career went to William and Mary from 2009 to 2012. As a junior, he caught one pass for 13 yards. As a senior, he played in 10 games and earned one start. Okay, so it was a pretty lackluster career at William & Mary, but he was a wideout. So now what do you do? Obviously, he's not going to the NFL. His first job is the linebacker's coach at William & Mary. He did that for two years. He's a GA for Penn State in 2015 and 2016. So that would have been pre-Franklin, right? 2015? That, I that would have been a Bill O'Brien? Or was that Franklin? That uh, was probably we'll Franklin. Double check. We'll double check that. Yeah. Um, and, and so, again, still, no one on planet Earth other than his family knows who Joe Brady is. Then in 2017, 2018, he takes a job with the Saints as an OA. I'm guessing that's offensive assistant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, did you know who Joe Brady was when he was an offensive assistant at, with the Saints? I did not. I didn't either. Oh, by the way, that was James Franklin um, at Penn State. Uh, okay. He was there 20 – first year James Franklin at Penn State was 2014. Okay, good call. Thank you. So and, – and anybody who knows what a GA does, I mean, that's anything from grabbing coffee, making sure the sprinklers are on. Yeah, you're in the coaching meetings and you're helping here and there, but you're not – you're not dialing up plays typically as a GA, am I right? Like you're not. No, 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 no. And the one year he was there, he did work under Joe Moorhead, and then the next year was the the guy that replaced Joe Moorhead. Okay, so here's this guy. He, he is just floating in absolute anonymity, much like Dabo Sweeney was during his time as an assistant coach, um, and much like Ed Orgeron was, for that matter. You know the, the 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 meat market book by by Feldman. That's who. That's when I first really started to learn about Ed Orgeron because they talked about him as a recruiter, a relentless recruiter, right? So then he gets the job this off season, and all we know is LSU may or may not change their offense with this Joe, but this thirty-year-old whiz kid, Joe Brady. And a lot of people at SEC media days are like, with a wink and a nod, yeah, 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 same old thing. Yeah, they're not going to change their offense. Two tight ends, smash mouth, ground and pound football. That's what O believes in. That's what LSU is. Well, guess what? They let them do everything. They let him call. They, they gave complete control to this guy, and now they'll be lucky to hold on to him because he's a household name. And you mentioned the air raid and what they were doing, and people thought that couldn't work. Not only did it work, they couldn't stop it. <laughs> no one, no one can stop it. So I just thought, is it you know the the anatomy of a national championship program. When Alabama does it, it's like, okay, well, they're Alabama, and and Nick Saban was a hot coach when they hired him, and he'd already been a winner at LSU and Michigan State and blah, blah, blah. This story is so much more fascinating. Uh, Ed Orgeron and Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, a two-star recruit at a high school who couldn't win the job at Ohio State, 
who transfers and last year was a game manager. And these three individuals combined break every imaginable record in the history of the sport and put together the greatest season in college football history, defeating six, six of the final AP top 10 schools. This is never going to happen again. Six of the top 10 final AP teams in college football. Absolutely amazing. I agree. It just goes to show you, you never know. People wonder what a good coaching hire is. It's, I think it's a lot of it's about fit. And I think a lot of it, Mike, is about where you are coaching. You know, Ed Orgeron goes to Arkansas. All right, let's say he goes to Arkansas and not LSU. And, you know, they're going to get some good players in there. And, and then he's, he's bringing in Joe Brady to get to seven wins. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's bringing in Joe Brady to get from four Absolutely. to seven wins. Correct. Um, you know, but LSU, we've talked about it for years. That's why I was always fascinated uh, whenever people would talk about the LSU job. And, and, you know, Les Miles was there for a long time. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, there were years, especially like in 07 when Michigan came open and there was that Kirk Street report, which, you know, I, I tend to believe that Les Miles was going to Michigan until the story broke. Um, that, you know, that even the SEC championship game, Les Miles is going to Michigan. He has to hold a press conference and say, no, I'm staying here. So, so there was always talk about who's going to replace Les Miles at LSU. And I was always fascinated when, like, you know, and at that time Steve Spurrier's name was good because of his connection with Joe Oliva, uh, who used to be at Duke, uh, kind of the Spurrier-Duke connection. Uh, I was always fascinated by who in the world would go there and, and, and that's an offensive mind that would take them to the next level. Um, because I felt like that's kind of what they have been missing for a while. You know, after that 07 team under Les Miles, you know, they got really pedestrian on offense. And they had players. Look at the wide receivers in the NFL that have played at LSU. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody, Odell Beckham You think Odell Beckham Jr. would have loved to have played in this offense? <laughs> you know, gracious. they've always got players, you know. Jarvis Landry. Um, you know, a little bad at quarterback. But I'll be honest. And, and look, Joe Burrow had a special year. Right, the right fit at the right time for that system, um, you know. And, and for the life of me, though, Mike, when you know, I was thinking, well, maybe Chip Kelly will go to LSU. That would be scary. Or, or maybe, you know, Tom Herman had he gotten that job instead of Texas, I'm like, well, that offense would be dangerous down there. You know, as long as they're running ground and pound, you know, I, I think, I think, I don't think people need to worry. Well, here's the genius of what Ed Orgeron did. Um, and and it, it's it's off the beaten path. And, and, you know, he went out when he got the full-time job, and he's like, we're going to hire the best offensive coordinator in college football. And that year, Matt Canada was at Pitt. And they were going up and down the field. They beat Clemson and Penn State that year. Um, Nate, Nathan Peterman was uh, – he turned him into like a guy that – you know, when he went in the game, when he played for Tennessee, it, it was bad. <laughs> and turned him into like a an all-star quarterback. They had James Conner on that team. Matt Canada, you start thinking, well, that's the best guy for the job. Well, it was a disaster, and they lost to Troy at home. So he replaces him with Steve Insminger, a grizzled veteran who's been at LSU, I think, for almost 20 years now. Um, and it got a little better. But it still, like you said, was pedestrian. And then you add the secret sauce with the passing game with Brady. 
Um, and, and like you said, I mean, nobody was sitting there jumping up and down when Steve Ensminger was named the OC. He's an older guy. Like I said, he's been there for 20 years. He's a grizzled veteran. Um, and then you, you you take the wonderkin and, and you combine it with the grizzled veteran, and you got all of a sudden it's magic. And um, if you were talking about who Ed Orgeron should hire as OC, and, and, and you know after the Matt Canada debacle, I don't think you would have come up with this as as a solution. I don't think you'd have sit there and said, "Well, there's a guy that's a GA at Penn State that's going to be really good." And, you know, you'd have been talking about I'll shell out a million dollars and go hire. Ex coach or whoever, so I think um, I think it's just one of those things that worked out. I think a lot of times it's about fit. Um, LSU fans love Coach Orgeron because he's one of them. Most you know he's, he's a Louisiana guy through and through, um, and they love him even more today because he's fifteen and zero and he's forty and nine as the head coach at LSU, forty six and eleven as a head coach interim or otherwise. Uh, if you take away the, the three bad years at Ole Miss. So, you know, you're talking about Southern Cal and LSU. That's, you know, it's two pretty good gigs. Um, and, and it kind of shows you that, you know, he can coach a little bit. So it, it's, uh, it, it's amazing. And like you said, all four guys that coach teams in the playoff this year were internal promotions. Yes. Were assistants on the current staff at the current school before they got the job. They were, and, and, and part of that was because, and as I mentioned, a couple of those situations, they swung and missed on quote unquote bigger name candidates. You just never know. You ju- I, I keep going back to that because right now there are people listening to this that they don't like their coach of their particular school. And they're thinking, well, if we fire this guy, and then they go on Google and they get top 10 co- hot college football names. Ah, this is the guy we need to get. No, this is the guy we need to get. You just don't know. And so much of it is fit. And, yeah, we keep bringing this up. It's not to knock. I, I love Ed Orgeron. I've said this many times. I think Ed Orgeron is great for college football. He's great for the SEC. So I, I can't help but pull for the guy. How could you not love this guy? Like, he's just like this big, tough teddy bear. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I was happy for Ed Orgeron last night. I, I like everything about him. I can't get enough of seeing his interviews. It's a natural – like, let's face it, not no names being mentioned. There are a lot of coaches, successful coaches, who are such great self-promoters that when they're talking, you feel like it's coming from a place of very orchestrated, very measured, very calculated. There's nothing calculated about it about Ed Orgeron. It's just a, hey, this is who I am. I got the gruff voice. I'm Louisiana, and I end everything and go Tigers. And that somehow it works for him at LSU. It did not work at Ole Miss. I don't think it would have worked at Arkansas. And I could name 20 other schools that I don't think Ed Orgeron would be a great fit for. But for LSU, it was a great fit. And kudos to him. And look, for Dabo, Sweeney, and Clemson, they're already going to be preseason number one next year. We'll get into that later. Uh, you're going you're gonna to see that the, like the same five schools mm-hmm. uh, projected to be in the playoff next year. I've got, I've, I wrote it down before we started recording, and yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like the only new blood in the top ten, and I'm just looking at, you know, Dennis Dodd and ESPN, and uh, preseason polls are worthless, are obviously worthless in January, but you see Florida and a few of those polls. 
potentially winning the East. You see Minnesota now is on the board. You see programs like Arizona State creeping into the preseason top 20, top 15. But for the most part, it's the same usual suspects. We're not changing in college football. Um, We're going to be having the same storylines next year in terms of programs. But LSU has to replace a quarterback. And, you know, some of these other schools, Alabama, of course, has to replace a quarterback. So there'll be some some different stuff. But I don't want to get too far ahead. I, Joe Burrow, 60 touchdown passes. I, I don't know if we're going to see that again. Um, completing over 75% of them. Uh, dude is going to be the number one pick in the draft for a reason. And my question, and, and I'll just end it on, on this note, JC, on a recruiting question how in the world was this guy not more highly t- – is he just a late bloomer? How was he not more highly touted coming out of high school? I, I think a lot of it had to do with like the – I think he was the second quarterback in the class that Ohio State took. I think they took another guy or, or maybe took Haskins right behind him. Uh, and he was just an Ohio kid that uh, sort of came into his own his senior year. I'll say this, though. People in Ohio that know, like the people that follow high school football in that state that are big Buckeyes and insiders, they they love the guy. I mean, they were like, you talk about, well, who's going to be the quarterback? Is it going to be Haskins? How about JT Barrett? All this other stuff. you know. And then there was the obvious wrong-headed Tate Martell hype. Um, and people were like, well, don't, don't count out Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow fought tooth and nail. Urban Meyer – you know, you think sometimes this is coach speak when they're like, well, I don't know who's going to get the job, you know, who it's a battle, whatever. And then they go and name Haskins and everybody's like, ah, oh, well, you know, it was Haskins all along. That that wasn't really the case. Joe Burrow actually competed for that job. I, I thought last year, he, you know, he's a little rusty coming in, new system, new school. I, I thought he did play with some toughness. I mean, that game against Auburn at Auburn, I think he was like something like 13 for 29, but he led them back at crunch time, and they won. And that was a huge win for LSU last year against Auburn. Um, and I think this year, just with the the upgrades with the system, uh, he became sort of more comfortable in it. And people have to realize this too. In the age of quarterbacks coming in as freshmen and lighting it up, you know, there's still something to be said for the guy that uh, develops <laughs> and gets better. Players, football players do get better from season to season, believe it or not. Um, and he did. And and the system helped him. His supporting cast obviously helped him. But you can't throw the ball and complete that high of a percentage without you being locked in, laser-focused, and on your game. And And look, things did not start all that well for him last night. Mm-hmm. And they just adjusted, and he re- kind of revamped everything. They made adjustments. You know, I think Clemson coming out in the three-man front, the 317 stack or whatever, sort of uh, Nick Saban was talking about this at halftime, sort of threw them off. But they, did. they adjusted, though, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it was lights out after that. You know, I wanted to add one more thing, which is the, to put a bow on this unprecedented type of deal coaching-wise. Uh, I was sitting there thinking, all right, so the four coaches in the playoff, three of them, and you, you know how they say you never want to be the guy that replaces the guy? Well, three of these coaches replaced Urban Meyer, Bob Stoops, and Les Miles. Mm-hmm. What did all what, what what are those what do those three have in common? They've all won national championships at right. the school that they got replaced at. 
you know, of course, Tommy Bowden was the guy Dabo replaced. And, you know, Tommy Bowden did some good things at Clemson, just couldn't get over the hump. But, I mean, it's not like these guys are replacing, you know, chopped liver uh, or anything. Right. You know, so I, I, I think that's another unprecedented thing looking at it, Mike, is that they say you don't want to be the guy that replaces the guy. Mm-hmm. But, heck, Ryan Day and Ed Orgeron and Dabo Sweeney and um, uh, Lincoln Riley, they've, they've all done pretty well doing that. I think it's I think it's a different day and age where if you're the guy who replaces the guy at those elite programs, not a bad deal, mm-hmm. not a bad deal. And of course, you still had like Ryan Day is still feasting off some ridiculously good recruiting classes under Urban Meyer, and Ed Orgeron took over that job. There was an uh, immense amount of talent at LSU, uh, and Lincoln Riley takes over, and they always get uh, quarterbacks to transfer there. <clears throat> Yeah. And wind up winning Heisman trophies, or, or at least in the running this year. Um, so I, I think you'd almost rather be the guy that replaces the guy at a program that's destined not to fail, as opposed to replace you know some schmuck at a at a school that is destined to go six and six for the rest of time, or even less than that. Um, because that's just where we are. The rich have gotten so much richer, and I'm talking metaphorically in college football and well for that matter financially too but um it, it just seems so hard to get these these top programs off their perch right now to where as a as a new coach you got to really almost work hard to not win 10 games a year at these programs because the recruiting just seems to continue to go good 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 and nowadays you can delegate the hell out of everything you know, there was a time where if you were the head football coach in college football, you did everything. You called plays on both sides of the ball uh, in addition to recruiting and everything else. And you made all the key decisions, and you didn't have you know, 27 GAs and nine full-time assistants and all these things in place to help you stay at the top. Now you have several head coaches that don't call a single play on offense or defense, you have coordinators that are paid seven figures to make all the, 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 the plays. And your job, you're almost like the CEO of a major company that has really good people underneath you. And so from it makes it harder for you to fail, quite frankly. Uh, and I'm not trying to take away anything from any of these guys. Not at all. That's not my point. I just think that's part of the reason why. Because I continue to, to theorize in my head are we ever going to change in college football? Like, are we going to be talking about the same six, seven schools for the rest of time competing for the national championship? Um, I, I do think in, in, in some respects it's cyclical, but in some respects, if you don't get put on probation or something you know, really dramatic happens to you, it, it's hard to lose your place in the upper tier uh, of college football right now. So that's all said and done. Uh, don't feel bad for Clemson. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be the number one pick a year from now, will be the Heisman Trophy uh, leading candidate. And Clemson's still stacked, and they're going to be really good, and they're going to dominate a woeful ACC, and they're going to pr- continue to be one of the premier programs in college football. Uh, I don't think there's many more takeaways from 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 that than uh, than what I just said. Um, I guess, JC, when you look at 2019 slash 20 in a vacuum, what are you going to remember about this season that's not LSU? 
I, I think that uh, you know it's probably going to be same th- 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 this year as a whole when you're when you're not just looking at um, you know the LSU store because obviously this was their first playoff appearance. It was their first time they played for a national title since 2011. Um, first time they've won it since 20, 2007. So that's about you know 12, 13 years. Um, you know, it, it was the same old, same old. I, I, I do think that there's some, you know, Texas, uh, and to a lesser extent, Georgia. I, I don't want to call Georgia a disappointment because what they were what twelve and two, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know they had the upset loss this past year, and then against LSU, they just they couldn't. They weren't competitive. Um, I think their offense sort of struggled. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a top five defense in Athens this year, but, you know, kind of similar results. Uh, they lost one game they shouldn't have, then, you know, won the division again, then got beat. And, you know, that, that's, that's a program that, you know, I think you called Georgia in 2020 fascinating. Uh, so I'll remember that. But other than that, Mike, like we talked about it this preseason, what were they talking about uh, at media days? Well, in the Big 12, they were talking about if Texas could finally – get over the hump and beat Oklahoma and win the – what's Texas going to do? You know, mm-hmm. and otherwise it's Oklahoma. Um, you know, in, in the uh, in the Big Ten, uh, who's going to beat Ohio State? Can, is this the year Michigan makes a move? Right. We're talking about that for four years. Yep. The ACC is can anybody beat Clemson? We've been talking yep. about that for four years. Uh, and quite frankly, in the SEC, we weren't talking about LSU as much. We were talking about can Georgia get over the hump against Alabama. So – a new kind of narrative in that league. But basically, 80% of it was exactly as expected. Right. And I would add in the Pac-12 at their media days, which I don't know, might have had nine people attend, uh, can Southern Cal finally, under Coach Helton, get back to Southern Cal? And the answer for the time being is still no. Mm-hmm. So really, all the questions that were asked <laughs> – the answer was kind of no, right? All the questions yeah. that were leaning towards something changing no. and really being this this spark of, of intrigue and and differing from the, the norm, the answer was an emphatic no in almost every turn, with the exception, like you properly mentioned, none of us thought LSU would be this good. I mean, there were people that said LSU, this is the year LSU could win the West. Uh, this is the year – that, that maybe LSU finally lives up to the to the billing with their talent. But nobody expected any of this. And Joe Burrow was a 200-to-1 Heisman Trophy candidate in Vegas, and most people did pick Bama to beat the West. Remember, Bama, had to, uh, Bama played LSU at home in Tuscaloosa. Um, so there was no reason to think LSU would be this doggone good. But by the same token, this is hardly a Cinderella story. It's LSU. Mm-hmm. They've got ridiculous talent every year, and then they finally made the proper adjustment in their offensive philosophy to help get over the hump. Uh, um, I'll also say this, just real quick, and we'll have other podcasts talk about this. This is just one list. This is what Dennis Dodd, preseason top 25 for next year. Clemson, number one. Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, top five. Sound familiar? It should. Then Florida, kind of new blood Oregon kind of old blood that turned back into new blood uh now that they're post Willie Taggart uh Auburn Georgia Notre Dame so it's just a whole lot of a whole lot of now Texas A&M 13 you know Minnesota 11 
but then it's you know it's Michigan, Wisconsin, Texas, uh, Boise State, Baylor, blah blah. You get the idea. Um, I do want to double back, and then we'll get into Mike Leach because that's a lot of fun to talk about. And we, it's the, the biggest coaching hire since you and I were last on, obviously. Jake Fromm leaving for the pros. Since you hit on Georgia. If Jake Fromm turns out to have an NFL career that's a successful one, I don't mean holding a clipboard because he's going to be on a roster for a while. I mean, if he is like a good starting quarterback in the NFL, people are going to look at his three years in Athens and say, in some respect, they were wasted. That you ran an offense that didn't totally utilize an NFL-type quarterback where all these other programs that had that kind of talent at QB did. And Georgia won a lot of games, and Kirby Smart's done a lot of good things. But I'll look back at three years of Jake Fromm, and I'll say, good, but not great. And, of course, did not end well at all. Um, Accuracy started becoming an issue. They didn't have great wide receivers. We know that. And DeAndre Swift, he's going to be gone, too. And some people question how he was used. They've had multiple offensive coordinators in Athens the last couple of years, so you can't just pin it on the. You know, that's all, I always label that the get out of jail free card for a head coach. Something's not going well on one side of the ball. It's not my fault. It's the it's the coordinator. So I fired him. So now it's fixed. You can't go that route anymore. You can't do that anymore. And Georgia fans are going to be asking, particularly if Fromm goes on to have a great NFL career. Why in the world did we not utilize that more? Maybe we would have gotten Now, they were this close to winning a national title, but maybe we could have actually done more if we had utilized his talents uh, and his skill set better than they did. I think that's going to be a big question in Athens moving forward, how they run their offense. Look at what LSU did. Maybe it's time for Georgia to do the same. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen, um, you know. And, and, you know, it's like Nick Saban was saying during the broadcast. It's like, you know, you grow up through your coaching career and you're defensive-minded and you play conservative. And he's like, you know, and I think he was kind of speaking about himself a little bit. Uh, and he goes, and you run the ball and play conservative and play defense. He's like, you and see, and then the game changed. He goes, and then the game changes. And see, you're not going to be able to do that anymore because the game has changed. you got to put points on the board. You're not going to get – the amount of explosive plays you need to win. Um, and I think that was the case of Georgia. Like, Georgia's defense, I thought this past year was better than the previous two. You know, I thought their defense was pretty salty. Um, and they supposedly had a great offensive line, and I think talent-wise they certainly did. They didn't always play that way. Uh, and a really good quarterback in Fromm, you know, you're missing some receivers, but – you know, you go back and you look, and, and you know, they got rid, uh, or I don't want to say got rid, but one of the best play callers in the SEC, uh, Jim Chaney, left and went to Tennessee. Um, you replaced him with James Coley, and no, no offense to him, but he was Al Golden's offensive coordinator at Miami. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> that, that was there's a track record there, you know, and I, I don't want to say he was that bad, but, uh, you know, you just have to look at it like that. Now, here's what's fascinating that adds a layer of intrigue to the dogs. And, you know, I know you're in Atlanta and I've got some ties there. We all know a bunch of dog fans and a bunch of dog people and dog media and God love them, you know. Uh, and so we hear a lot about this particular program. Jamie Newman from Wake Forest, quarterback 6'4", 230, dual threat guy. 
transferring in to UGA. He steps on campus. He's the best option they have right now. DeWan Mathis is a young kid that's you know getting over some health issues and stuff. I don't think he's going to be ready. Then they got some walk-ons, and they got a true freshman coming in out of Florida, I believe. I think that's Carson Beck, um, who's going to be good. But this is a transition year quarterback. So you go get one of the best dual-thread guys. And keep in mind, Wake Forest runs a very unique offense. It's uh, kind of a mesh point, run game, zone read kind of deal. That's not Georgia. It's not who Georgia's been on offense. That's not who Corby Smart wants to be on offense. So it's going to be interesting to see if there are any changes um, with the scheme and what with what they want to do. Um, because, you know, you've you got to take advantage of this guy if he is your starter. And he's not a guy that's going to, you know, drop back and be as accurate uh, as Jake Fromm was consistently, um, you know, all of his accuracy issues notwithstanding. And I'm not trying to take away anything from what Georgia has done. I think Kirby Smart has been a difference maker. I think Georgia is in great shape under his direction. Um, it was a good hire for a lot of different reasons. So this is not a knock on Kirby. But I will tell you this. The gravy train to Atlanta is starting to look a lot less gravy, if you will. Uh, Florida is clearly on the rise. They've won 21 games in Dan Mullen's two years. They they feel like it looks like they have the right fit. I was just in Knoxville, had a chance to chat with Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, when he was announced, You know, they did a halftime ceremony with the win in the uh, Tax Slayer Bowl, a.k.a. the Gator Bowl. Um, what is it like to slay a tax anyway? I'd always, <laughs> I've always been curious of that. Um, the crowd gave him a huge ovation. An ovation I not, did not anticipate when they lost to Georgia State and BYU in September. But now all of a sudden they win six in a row and Tennessee seems to be in the right direction. We all know it's a huge year for Will Muschamp at South Carolina. But they get a good recruiting class. They got a new offensive coordinator, a guy that Will Muschamp. Uh, uh, Kirby knows a thing or two about, and Mike Bobo, another Georgia Bulldog. Um, you know, if South Carolina has a bounce back year, we know Kentucky. You can't. Mm. Uh, Mark Stoops has already proven. I mean, they should give that guy a lifetime contract with what he has done the last couple of years. Uh, Missouri's Missouri, and Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt. But I, the East, it, it's they were. It was time. It was it was ripe to be taken over by a program that was built to be dominant because everybody else was down. Well, that's no longer the case. And so I, I think you even have people already picking Florida to win the East over Georgia. Never would have seen that the last couple of years. Uh, so uh, just just food for thought. We'll have all off season to be able to talk about that. But I do think I do think it's interesting uh that we finally now have a little bit of competition in that division. All right. The question then becomes, we're going to have competition in the West other than LSU and Alabama. You know, th- this could be a breakout year for Texas A&M. They have a lot of people coming back, including Kellen Mond. Um, so there's the top and Auburn's going to be good again. Uh, I think, and they, they're one of the few teams in the sec that will have a starting quarterback returning, but then there's the other three. We talked about Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Now we have the Pirates in the West. This is 
This is a late Christmas present for 2019 or an early one for 2020, depending on how you want to look at it. But for those of us that cover the SEC, this was a gift from above. To, to take Mike Leach, one of the most fascinating men in coaching, take him out of Pullman, Washington, and bring him to Starkville, where he's getting off a charter plane and ringing a cowbell. Come on now. This is too good to be true. Uh, hats off to John Cohen and company. I mean, I don't know if that was the first choice because we were hearing a whole lot about another dude who's now in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one way or another, they got him. And think the egg bowl has never been more intriguing. It's funny because it's uh, somebody put on Twitter the other day. I can't remember exactly who it was, but who would have thought that uh, a freshman acting like a, a dog peeing on a football would lead to us having a Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach egg bowl matchup next yes. year. Yes. And it did. <laughs> Who would have thought that would have, that would have facilitated everything. That, that's a 30. That's the beginning of a 30 for 30 uh, thing. What if I told you that? Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, you know, look, Mike Leach is I tell people this, Mike Leach has wanted to coach in the sec a long time. He would have taken Tennessee. Last year, he would have taken Arkansas. He would have taken Missouri. He'd have taken just about any of these jobs. Okay, um, I think he is a great fit at Mississippi State because I think he becomes. You know, all of a sudden you're a special preparation. You have to prepare for the air raid in its truest form. He's going to throw it sixty times a game, and in listening to his press conference, because you know nobody talks about him being a great recruiter or anything, but but the guy can find players, okay? And there are a lot of players in the state of Texas, and he was at Texas Tech and all that, where you're like the fifth choice. Um, But there are also a lot of players in Mississippi and in Mississippi State's recruiting footprint. You know, he talked about a 300-mile radius. And I was shocked he talked this much about recruiting, but this kind of gives you the insight in beyond the money why this job – was very attractive. Um, there are more guys. There are more guys in a 300-mile radius of Mississippi State's campus in Starkville that can run 4-4 in the 40, you know, that are big, tall, athletic defensive linemen, uh, that are big, tall, strong offensive linemen, that are great running backs, wherever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are more players in that in that area than there are really on the entire West Coast that Washington State would have access to. You know, Washington State, to get defensive linemen, they had to go to American Samoa. You know, they you look on their roster, they got a lot of Samoans and guys that, I mean, because they, they, they're just not that many what you call jumbo athletes. And Leach mentioned the recruiting footprint multiple times. And so I think what he, he's thinking is this. You know, yes, the competition is going to be much tougher, but you're going to have better athletes at Mississippi State than you are uh, at, at Washington State. And, you know, he said he liked kind of the independent mindset of the school. And quite frankly, I do too. I think their fan base, and Mike, you're very familiar with them. Uh, I think their fan base is, is a little special, to be honest. Mississippi State fans, to me, are very realistic, they're very proud. You know, they're, they're most, mostly really good folks. You know, they're some of the best fans in the league. Uh, and they support all their sports. You know, they're a women's basketball power, and they support the men's program. Baseball is always packed. 
you know, and then football. So I think it's a fit, whereas we may not have thought about that. Mississippi State, Mike Leach, that sounds weird. I think it is a fit. And I think he thinks he's going to go in there and, you know, maybe he's not going to rank as high as everybody else in recruiting, but he's going to get enough players to where he will have the most athleticism that he's ever had running his offensive system. I think it's a very interesting fit. To me, both these hires signify something. They are two programs that look at the West, and I brought this point up a few weeks ago. How often are Ole Miss or Mississippi State going to have more talent than the top four programs in this league? By that I mean LSU, Alabama, Auburn, and yes, Texas A&M. And I think the answer is hardly ever. So right away, four, half of your conference schedule every year, if you take this job, you know they're going to beat you in recruiting on a regular basis, unless you cheat and get caught like you freeze. So rather than just go through uh, a list of I don't like I don't think Joe Moorhead was a terrible hire. It made sense. A lot of people that are ripping that now applauded that hire when it was made. Uh, Matt Luke made a lot of sense. We've seen the the inter- Matt Luke in a lot of ways is Ole Miss's version of Ed Orgeron. Yeah, he's Ole Miss through and through. He's an interim guy. He's a great recruiter. So, but I think. At some point, you just raise your hands as those fan bases and you say, you know what, we just got to do something different if we're going to have a chance to move the meter. And that's what these hires are. Mm. That doesn't always spell success. Both of these could blow up in a bad way, or both these hires could basically tread water in the same place you've been in for for most of the last couple of decades. And for those programs, that is, you're not going to Atlanta. You're not winning the West. Uh, a good season is like what Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State. Uh, and a good season for Ole Miss is what David Cutcliffe did without cheating in Oxford. And if you were to put a gun to my head and make a prediction, that's what I'd say both these guys are going to do. They're going to be fighting, scratching, and clawing their way to get to a, an eight-win season every year. And And – you know, hopefully those fan bases will appreciate that and not say, well, we got to fire Lane Kiffin now and we got to fire the Pirate. Um, that's what I think it is. Now, you're, so you win the press conference and you're going to win media days in six months from now mm-hmm. and everything else. It's great. But, I mean, is Mike Leach going to put together top 10 recruiting classes in Starkville all of a sudden? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Is Lane Kiffin going to do that at Ole Miss? I don't think so. Is either one of them going to win the West and be in Atlanta? I mean, if I gave you, let's see, JC, if I gave you five to one odds that in the next five years, either Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach takes their respective Mississippi school to the SEC championship game, a la they win the Western division, are you going to take that? You're going to put $100 down with a chance to win 500 that they do that in the next five years? No, I'd do fifth, maybe 50 to one if it would be 5,000. <laughs> no. I, well, I mean, you know, there's – there's. it just depends. I mean, what's so hard about the, the West as opposed to the East, Mike, is – all right, so you're in the East. All right, Florida, you know, Florida has to play LSU every year. You know, Georgia has to play Auburn every year. And depending on who else – and Tennessee has to play Bama every year. So depending on who else rolls onto their schedule – you know, and then they have a bad game, and you beat you can beat them. 
you know, the schedules sometimes work out to where, man, eh, you know, you can, you can go win it with a 6-2 and two record or 7-1 and one or whatever, and, you know, they were just down, and, you know, that's how Missouri won the East, South Carolina won the East in 2010, and all that good stuff, because, you know, these other teams, you know, that their, their permanent opponents are not as, you know, not as daunting. But if you're Ole Miss or Mississippi State, you have to hope that Auburn, Bama, and LSU are all down at the same time. Now, Bama's yeah, not have. going. Bama was, da- I guess, quote-unquote down this year. Keep in mind they lost by five to the team that won it all and by three in the Iron Bowl. And those games were shootouts, 48-45, 46-41. Otherwise, they're in the playoff again. Um, so they weren't down. I mean, they just – Ball didn't bounce their way in two games, you know. And, and, and so you look at it, and you're like, it's tough to see a path forward because you're you're not just counting on one program or two programs not being themselves in a year, which can happen. You're counting on like four of them being down, and that's just really really tough. You know, you talk about next year and Texas A and M; they have a favorable schedule. Their teams they play from the East are South Carolina and Vanderbilt. They've never lost to South Carolina since they've been in the league, and then Vanderbilt, they play Vanderbilt, you know. Um, Ole Miss, meanwhile, does have the annual game with Vandy, but they also play Florida. So, ooh, you know, that's tough. I mean, you look at Lane Kiffin and his start, Baylor in Houston, and we'll see who gets the Baylor job, Southeast Missouri, Auburn, and then at LSU, and then Alabama at home. Could be two and three, could be one and four to start with, five games in. And you still got Florida and Texas A&M on the schedule. Now, the Pirate, he's got a little bit different path. He plays New Mexico at NC State, which they could could stick it to Dave Dorn and company. Arkansas, Tulane, and then Texas A&M comes to Starkville. So they could be 4-0. But then in October, they got Alabama on the road, LSU on the road, back-to-back weekends. And then Auburn at home. <laughs> you know, I mean, woo, shoe buddy. Yeah. I mean, that's a big old shoe buddy. So, so that's that's the problem with these teams in the West. It's not that they can't be good. I mean, Dan Mullen had Mississippi State ranked number one for a while in 2014. <laughs> and they were deserving to be ranked number one. But you knew they were going to run into Bama, you know, eventually. And they they played that game pretty tough, but – I don't think there's anybody that realistically thought they would lose in uh, or they would win in Tuscaloosa. Not no matter how good Dak Prescott was. So you're always going to run into that game, that team in the West, whereas the East is, you know, the, 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 the secret formula for a surprise team to win it uh, is not as complex. I think it's going to be fascinating. And look, I hope, I hope they both do well. Uh, I'd love to see the apple cart shaken up a little bit. Uh, not only in the SEC, but college football as a whole, as we've talked about ad nauseum. But they got their work cut out for them, that's for sure. But And again, it's interesting to see how that whole thing took place in, in Starkville. Job searches rarely go the way you expect them to. Um, but they both got guys who, on paper, you know, could and maybe should be difference makers. We'll see what kind of difference they can make. I know one thing, if you are looking to make a difference in 2020 on how you look, Brent Skinner will do that for you. I, I see all these commercials for the gyms now and New Year's resolutions and getting in shape and changing your diet and fasting and everything. Okay, that's great. We want you to go ahead and, and, and look your very best, but you're not going to do that 
if you're wearing inferior clothing. I mean, if you want to really look your best, you got to dress right too, right? That's where Brent Skinner can help you. He's helped me. He's helped so many others out there, not just uh, in his neck of the woods, but nationally. And he will come to you no matter where you're listening to us in the great nation of ours. Just go ahead and go to the website or give him a call. Set up an appointment, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Tell him you heard about it on J.C. and Morgan Podcast. He will throw in a free custom-made shirt, and I'm throwing in a free tie as well. Some of you have already taken advantage of that, so I'm a little lighter in the uh, in the wallet, but that's okay. That's my, my New Year's resolution. I'm going to be generous to the clients, the customers of Brent Skinner. BPSkinnerClothiers.com. Do something good for you in 2020 and look your very best. Trust me, you will notice the difference right away. JC, some final thoughts for our uh, not final podcast, but the first podcast, I guess you could say, of the uh, postseason, if you will. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, it's going to be interesting to follow the, these few remaining coaching searches. Who gets the Baylor job? Because I think that job's probably going to be better than it was, you know, before mm-hmm. Matt Rule took over. Uh, Nick Rolovich from Hawaii, who I thought he did. Hawaii's a tough job. I thought he did a really good job at Hawaii, really good personality. Um, Got the Washington State job, so we'll see what happens in Coog Land post pirate. Um, and you know, kind of looking forward to seeing how it, it all plays out. You know, we, we got another little recruiting period coming up. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, LSU and, and their ability to recruit. Well, the national champions, if you kind of look at their list this year, they've done good work not just in Louisiana but outside the state. A lot of top players from Georgia um, got Elvis. D- uh, I don't know if it's Elvis Dumerville's brother or he's just related, but he's a Dumerville and he's from South Florida and uh, he's an <laughs> offensive lineman and he's in the, on, the, on the thing. So that's uh, Ed Orgeron's just going to keep it going there and um, it'll be kind of interesting to see, you know, in the spring who wins that quarterback job and, and, and what's going to happen at Alabama and what's going to happen at Georgia. Will Georgia change their offense? And, you know, just a lot of stuff to kind of sink our teeth into during the offseason. And we'll be covering it all. We're not we're not going away for eight months. We're going to be with you on a on a regular basis throughout the off season, just as we were last year. By the way, kudos to Matt Rule. And I, I said this going all the way back to August that that guy was going to get an NFL job. He wasn't taking a job in the Southeast to coach college anymore. What he did in that turnaround, I don't think it got enough publicity. And because he's leaving so quickly, it, it's going to be forgotten. Maybe in a couple of years, you have to know how bad a shape Baylor was in to realize what he did to get them where they are this year is, is amazing. Uh, and maybe the guy who does get that job is able to capitalize on that. And they'll still look at Matt rule and say, wow, he threw us a major life preserver when we were sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, and, and as someone who used to work for the Carolina Panthers, uh, in a part-time basis, kudos to them for hiring Matt rule. That is, that's a home run hire. I have no doubt that guy's going to do uh, great things in Charlotte for the uh, for the Carolina Panthers. JC, it's been a fun season, and uh, we're going to do this again soon, so it's not like a tearful goodbye, but uh, look forward to doing it throughout the offseason. The great thing about college football now, it has become a year-round sport where there is always something to talk about, and we are going to give you your fix throughout this offseason. So on that note, as I stutter my way through the end of this podcast, as we try to squeeze it in under an hour, for JC, Mm -hmm. Mike saying so long. We'll see you next time.